back to another edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast. I am Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier, flying solo again, literally flying across the Midwest to Pennsylvania, where I'm recording this from. Outside of Pittsburgh, I'll be heading over to State College on Thursday, for those of you listening to this uh, when I record it Wednesday. And Purdue basketball plays there Thursday night, um, 7 o'clock p.m. on FS1. So follow along on jconline.com. Follow me on Twitter, at InBairedJC, for the the full report from that. Um, Flying solo because Mike Carmen is back all toasty in West Lafayette or Lafayette, wherever he's hanging out today. But I did want to mention, you know, something we talked about on the podcast last week was the fan survey that Purdue was doing to gather some feedback on the future of Ross 8 Stadium. That survey is out, so if you go to jconline.com or if you follow Mike on Twitter, at uh, Carmen underscore JC, he has a breakdown of what exactly is in that. He's got some of the the art that goes with that, the renderings of you know what a potential future upper deck would look like, uh, some differences to the concourse, that sort of thing. So go to jconline.com to catch up on that. A uh, bit of a shorter podcast today, but I did want to talk some Purdue basketball. And with them having won five in a row and eight of the last nine, really sort of jumped back up the national attention, if, if you will. I mean, uh, back in the AP poll this week after being out for two months, they're at number 17 right now. But more importantly than that, they're still continuing to climb in terms of some of the computer rankings and where they stand in terms of those quad one and quad two wins that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee is going to give a lot of weight to when they're making their decisions in March. And to talk a little bit more about that, I went to uh, one of the local experts on that, or the the leader of an organization of, of experts, as they've sort of proven themselves to be on the national stage, and that's uh, Brian Tonsoni, who teaches at Delphi and leads the Delphi Bracketology Group. Uh, more on them in a moment, but just wanted to kind of give people a rundown of what's coming up for Purdue basketball. Like I said, uh, Thursday night at Penn State, home game against Minnesota on Sunday, and then a home game against Nebraska on Saturday. And that is, if you look at these game, these seasons in stretches or in small gaps, you know, I think they just came through what they expected to be kind of a, a tough or a potentially important three-game stretch, home against Indiana at Ohio State, home against Michigan State. Running the table there is one of the things that sort of can change the direction of a season, change the narrative of a season at least a little bit in the short term. And like I said, that's one of the things that has given Purdue some upward momentum here as we head into sort of the midway point of the Big Ten season. Um, they are 7-2 and two right now, so Thursday night's game will be their 10th out of a 20-game schedule. And then coming out of this game, so after out of the game on uh, Thursday night, uh, home against Minnesota, home against Nebraska, that seems to be a stretch of games that, while they are winnable, are potentially the kind of game that Purdue... One thing I talked to Brian about was that Purdue has not stubbed its toe yet. It hasn't lost a game other than maybe that Notre Dame neutral court game. And that's a game that's going to look worse as time goes on because Notre Dame has fallen off a little bit because of injuries. And we talked to Brian a little bit about that. But one thing you haven't seen Purdue do necessarily is is have a what it would consider a bad loss. And what really, if you look at the schedule the rest of the season, 
there aren't any on here. The, the only one that would maybe potentially go down as a, a bad loss from an NCAA tournament perspective would be the February 27th home game against Illinois. And that's still a team that just beat Maryland on a neutral court. I don't think there's, there's any of these last 11 games that Purdue can take for granted and assume that they're just going to walk away with. But these next three, if they can continue the winning streak through these next three, it sets them up for an even more important stretch of games, in my opinion. And it's the stretch that may, if they take care of business these next two weeks, it's a stretch that could help them continue to make a push for staying at the top of the Big Ten and keeping themselves in the conversation for a championship because that's something we have to talk about, I think, at this point. I know it's not necessarily a place where people thought Purdue might be this season, and Michigan and Michigan State are both really good and are continue to win a lot of games. But when you're only one game back and you're halfway through the season, I, I think it's fair to start looking at the season from that perspective because there is a lot of value in being able to win a Big Ten championship, obviously. And if you if you get through these next two weeks, then Purdue goes at Maryland, which is a, a really crucial game probably for both those teams as far as staying in the race for potentially winning a Big Ten championship. And then you come back at home and play Penn State, and then you go at Indiana and at Nebraska, both will, you know, in the case of Indiana, it's already a team that's going to be looking for uh, to turn their own season around and, and, and get some revenge probably on for the way that the first game of that rivalry went down with Purdue winning 70-55 uh, just a couple weeks ago. And, and then at Nebraska at that point, that's going to be the second time those teams have faced each other. And Purdue has had some things uh, go awry at Nebraska before. You might remember a couple years ago when Purdue won the Big Ten Championship and went to Lincoln and lost a game in kind of a weird fashion down the stretch. And it appeared that that might be what derailed them from winning that title. And they were able to sort of regroup and finish off and, and, and win that championship outright. So I, I like to, instead of thinking of any one game as a referendum on a season, we've talked about this on this podcast many times before. It's one of the, the topics Mike Carmen likes to broach a lot when it comes to the difference between basketball and football. I think it's tough to look at any one game as being that critical in basketball but at this time of year I think you can look at different gaps as, as being different stretches of the season as being potentially crucial and, <clears throat> excuse me and these next six games whether it's the, the, the games here that they are quote unquote supposed to win which I think is a, is a misnomer because of how good all these teams are and then that next stretch of, of three or four games they're going to be tougher road tests and 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 probably challenges team in a different way um this this seems to be a a pretty pivotal stretch coming up and it's going to decide whether if you know if if they can keep this momentum going and and keep uh, they're in a good position as far as the ncaa tournament they're in a good position as far as getting a top four seed and a double buy in, in in the big 10 tournament those things they've already set the foundation for that but what they're trying to do right now is sort of separate and get up there and, and stay in that sort of elite category among the top two or three teams in the big 10 and give themselves a chance to take out michigan michigan state nip at their heels and, and maybe win or share a big 10 championship this next month or so is going to be pretty critical for that so um Keep that in mind as I talk to Brian Tonsoni from Delphi Brackets about how things are shaping up from an NCAA tournament standpoint. Joining me today on Boilers Extra is Brian Tonsoni. He teaches at Delphi High School. For those who aren't familiar, that's uh, in the next county over from Tiffany County where Purdue is, is Carroll County, and Delphi is one of the, the school districts there. And he's also the head of the Delphi Bracketology Club, or the organizer of it, I suppose you'd say. You can 
follow them on uh, DelphiBracketology.com and on Twitter at Delphi Brackets. And uh, these guys are legit. 2016, they were, if, if you follow Bracket Matrix, which sort of um, collects a lot of the, the bracketology, the prognostications from around the country, uh, they won it. They were the top bracket that year. And last year, they were uh, pretty close to, to doing it again. They've been the top 20 each of the last two years. So, um, Brian, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's it's going well. It's a little cold back here in Indiana. Uh, got the day off, and, and what a, a good way to get the day started talking some uh, college basketball. Well, I'm in Pennsylvania already, actually, and it's pretty frigid out here, too. So it's something the Big Ten can sort of share from city to city, I think, this week. Um, you know, for those who aren't familiar with the Delphi Bracketology, and, and we've written about it, some other people have written about it, and I think you guys even got featured on, on CBS the year or that you guys, um, or one of the stations the year that, that you guys won that. Um, but can you give us just a little bit more about how Delphi Bracketology started and what you and, and your students do there? Yeah, it started uh, with a question in a class between um, some sports fans and, and myself about where Indiana and Purdue might be seated in the upcoming um, tourney, and this was in 2015. And so a week or so later, uh, I posed the question to him. I said, do you think we can figure that out or find out how the committee does it? And so about four or five students uh, and a couple of teachers decided just to do some research online and try to find the criteria and how the NCA does the decision making. And we kind of got together and just talked and put together a, a bracket in 2015. Uh, and we decided to carry that over in 2016 and, and then enter the contest. Well, you don't really enter a contest, but it's a, TheBracketMatrix.com collects uh, all of the uh, the guesses, the bracketology picks uh, across the country. It's up to 175 uh, entries now. And so it just started on a whim of um, trying to build a relationship with some students and, and, and talk. And um, it morphed into a club where we have 16 students and four faculty members now. And we meet every week uh, and we do some college football stuff. We do some reporting and some writing now. We've advanced outside the just the bracket. But, yeah, we've had a, a pretty good run and, and some carryover um, in the last four years. And it's, uh, it's, it's a, one of the best things that's happened in education for me, uh, a lot of growth for our students, but a lot of fun talking sports um, in school. You know, I understand why there would probably be a lot of sports fans um, just around around school who'd want to be involved in something like this. Are you getting any students who maybe have a, a casual interest in sports but have more of an interest in math? Is it appealing to students who aren't necessarily basketball junkies but but are, are seeing some merit from the just the academic side of this? You know, I, I would have to ask. I'm not quite aware of that. What we're getting is is we're not getting many athletes. Um, we're, we're getting the non-athlete that likes sports, and this is their team. This is their club. Um, and, and whether that's the math draw or the sports draw, um, we're, we're getting uh, some of that type of, of student who, um, who likes to participate and, and have a discussion that way. That, that's the niche that we've really um, kind of hit. Gotcha. Well, being so close to Purdue, I'm, I'm sure you guys keep – a close eye on Purdue and, um, and and your students. You probably got some Purdue fans in that class. Um, coming in the season, you guys had Purdue as a, a six seed in your preseason bracket. I saw, and I know that those are even more speculative than what you guys are doing now, where you can kind of apply results to the to the the what you assume the NCA or what you know the NCA criteria will be. Um, but 
going back to mid-December, Purdue had a really strong strength of schedule, but they were only six and five. They only had one quad one win at home over Maryland, and that was you know that was only to stay a quad one win as long as Maryland kept playing well. So at that point, were you guys having discussions relative to Purdue how dire their NCAA tournament chances seemed at the time, not just in terms of seeding, but what they would have to do to make sure they even got in the tournament? Yeah, it, it, it was interesting because there are quite a few uh, Purdue fans in the club that we had them on the nine, eight, nine, ten range simply because of the the statistics that you mentioned. What was keeping them in good standing and not on the bubble where you talk about a team being out of the tournament uh, was their metrics and the new metrics of the net uh, taking offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. When you look at produce a schedule yes they were six and five at the time but all of the, most of those losses were to quality teams and were very close losses and so that kept uh, Purdue in this new ranking system ranked somewhat high and so the discussion was it's a matter of can Purdue avoid getting too many losses uh, if, if they can stay in the range of most of the teams loss wise their resume is good enough to be in at the you know eight nine ten range uh, in order to move up, they're going to have to put a streak of wins, and obviously that's what, what Purdue ha- has done since that time. But even looking at a Notre Dame loss at the time on a neutral loss, uh, since then Notre Dame has lost the, the Rex Kluger, and they've mm-hmm. lost some games. And so that loss is, is going to look worse and worse as the year goes on just because Notre Dame's not going to play well. Um, and those are things outside of Purdue's control, but – yeah, mid-December, we were talking about they, they need to avoid avoid a lot of losses and get a couple of wins just to, to be in the tournament, and, boy, that's turned around. That's the other thing I've tried to emphasize to people as I've talked about this on social media and in articles I've written is what is a quad one win today is not a quad one win tomorrow, depending on how that team continues to perform, Correct. So, like, for instance, the, the, I think Indiana might have been a quad one winner close to it when Purdue beat them two weeks ago. And earlier than that in the season, it certainly looked like beating Indiana at any time might be a quad one win. And now they have dropped down. I think they're 44th in the latest net rankings that have come out. And that may never show up. Even, you know, they're going to have, if they win in Bloomington, it would be, but that home win may never show up as a, as a quad one win. Yeah, that's that's the biggest gripe that the bracketology world has is those random cutoffs of the quad system, one through 35 at home, uh, and then you know 36 through 75 is a quad two win. And every every school has teams on that range where it, one day if they if they're 34th, it's a quad one win. If they drop down to 36, it's a quad two win, and that really does affect your resume. I think the committee does a nice job of looking at what's called team sheets. And, and noticing, you know, uh, those wins uh, and can decipher those wins. But Purdue has a couple. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, at the time, Indiana win was a quad one win. It's now a quad two win. And Purdue fans need to root for Iowa. Iowa's sitting at um, uh, a 28. Um, the home win um, against Iowa is a quad one win now. But if Iowa starts losing, that could drop uh, down. And, and so those are some things that, with you know six weeks left, I believe in the season, a lot of those things can change, but the wins stay. And even if it's a, a quad borderline quad one, borderline quad two, the the committee knows who you beat and where you beat them. And, and I think uh, Purdue has put together a, a pretty solid resume. Those differences may make the difference in maybe just one seed line 
at, at the most, I would imagine. I think the other thing to remember is the committee has these, like you say, these these rigid categories that teams fit in, and but that's not the only thing they're going by. It's not as if they are looking at a hard number and saying, well, Purdue is five and five, so they have to go behind this team that was six and four and quad one wins. It's it's just one of the tools among all of them that get mixed together. How do you, how do you and your and your group when you're putting together your bracket? How do you try to read the committee's mind as far as whether one metric will have more weight than another? Yes, that, that's a constant um, struggle for us, or not a struggle, but the fun part. We, we've kept data from 2016 uh, on on the final selection, and we're doing some um, trend analysis to see how the committees decide. They add two members every year, so every committee could be different. I think one of the benefits of our group, why we've had so, so much success, is we've stuck to a rigid type of criteria and not allowed too much basketball analysis. If you talk to our guys, I'm not sure they could tell you who the starting five for Purdue is, but we do know the numbers. And I think that takes some bias out of it. The national guys know that, um, for instance, um, Houston at 20-1, and one, um, we have them as a three, maybe a four, maybe even a five, but a lot of people have them ranked in the top ten because they're 20-1, and one, but their numbers don't show. And I think the committee has been more towards what our criteria has been. So, we start off with this. We, we look at uh, quad one wins first, quad two wins second, and then we look at uh, a combination of strength and schedule, road wins, and overall record. And, and we are trying really hard, Nathan, to figure out how much does a bad loss in quad three or four hurt um, versus an overall record. What do you do with Houston 20-1 and one and Nevada 19-1, and one, who, in my opinion, have worse resumes than Purdue? Uh, Purdue has played a tougher schedule. They've only played six teams in quad three and quad four, mm-hmm. um, where, where Houston has played 11 of those types. Nevada has played 12 and had a loss in that. Uh, so to me, as a basketball fan and coach and that, Purdue should be ranked above them. Um, but it is a combination of metrics, and, and that, that's, that's what the competition is is all about is guessing what people are going to do as opposed to a, a standings page, so to speak, where you look in the and you know in the NFL and Major League Baseball, this team's in first. Here's the wild card standing and so many games behind. It, it's uh, it's it's it gets to be tricky at times. Well, ever since that Notre Dame loss, Purdue has won eight of its last nine. They're they're riding a winning streak. They've um, you know they just beat Michigan State at home. They have road wins at Wisconsin, at Ohio State. So where does Delphi bracketology Purdue, what kind of neighborhood, where on the seed line are they right now, and why? Yeah, we've had them um, at a five, um, and and with the weather delays, we haven't put out our official bracket this week, but we're looking at moving Purdue up to a four um, right now, and the only reason is that Notre Dame loss is sitting there. Most of the teams in the top three um, do not have um, many losses, even in quad two or quad three. Uh, Duke has one. Kentucky won, Kansas won, uh, Purdue has won in quad two, that's the Notre Dame, and the total number of losses. Uh, for us right now at 14 and 6 Purdue, it's kind of hard to move above a 19 and 2 Gonzaga or a 17 and 3 uh, mm-hmm. Kentucky, even though the quad one wins are, are above those teams. Um, so I do think the overall record comes in. I think Purdue's strength of schedule is, is solid. Uh, I think uh, they're not having quad three and four losses. I see them, and they, 
Shelby Mass from the USA Today has Purdue as a, a three seed. I could see that. Um, and, again, it's just a snapshot where it is now. It's not a prediction of looking at the record and who Purdue's right. going to beat and so forth. So so those that can change uh, on a nightly basis. It seems like just as crucial now for them as getting other of those quad one wins, and they're going to have plenty of opportunities for that just because of the Big Ten schedule. I'm going to ask you about that in a moment too. But it seems like one of the positive things for Purdue this year is that they just haven't really stubbed their toe in one of those how did you possibly lose that kind of games. They've had that in past seasons. I remember back when last year's seniors were freshmen, they lost at home to North Florida. They lost at home to Gardner-Webb. And that was a team that still ended up making the NCAA tournament and somewhat comfortably. I think they were a nine seed that year. But that seems to be one of the strengths of their resume this year is not just that they're they're starting to win some of these road games, but that any time they've played um, somebody that's clearly a a lower class than them um, in in terms of achievement, that they're they're kind of taking care of business. Absolutely. That plays out to their net ranking, which has been 12, 13, uh, 11, depending on the week. Um, Playing quality opponents and playing them close, whether you win or lose, uh, helps helps drive those metrics. So the six losses aren't as bad because of the scheduling. And that's why, uh, you know, tomorrow night's game is huge. That's one of the last remaining uh, blips uh, that could really um, put a negative on Purdue's schedule. Uh, the Penn State game at home, uh, again, and, and maybe even the Illinois, who is playing better. But those three games, uh, you know, Purdue, in order to keep the seed where it's at, needs to win those three games. Losing on the road in the Big Ten is not hugely damaging simply because quad one losses happen. Um, So, you know, after that, at Maryland, at Indiana, at Nebraska, at Minnesota, Northwestern, there's going to be some tough games for the Boilermakers. Uh, But you lose two or three of those uh, at worst. Uh, I don't think that really damages uh, Purdue as far as falling extremely low. Maybe, again, a seed line, uh, depending on – you know, what those losses look like. But I think Purdue's in a solid spot right now. Uh, and as you said, avoid the, the Penn State-Illinois losses going ahead. And I, I think you're going to see um, Purdue uh, seated um, rather highly. Yeah, Illinois being a, a quad three game right now because that's a, a home game for Purdue. And actually, I'm looking at it right now. Purdue has six remaining quad one potential wins but five of those games come on the road, and that, that shows you just yep. how important winning on the road is for NCAA tournament purposes anymore. And, and I, the other question I had for you was, you know, Matt Painter was a proponent of going to a 20-game schedule in Big Ten play, and one of his reasons was he thought it would help the league top to bottom from, at the time it was RPI, but now it's net, you know, whatever metric they're using. He thought it would help as far as NCAA tournament selection as you guys have looked at this this year, do you see some evidence of that? Do you think the Big Ten is going to be potentially in better shape this year, partially because of going to a, a bigger league schedule and maybe cutting out some of those, um, you know, quad four games where you're down in the, you know, the 300s of the Ken Palm or whatever? I, I do think it helps the Big Ten this year. Uh, what, what really helped the Big Ten was doing extremely well in the non-conference because, mm-hmm. boy, that set the foundation. And now – because the Big Ten did so well, the net rankings and all of that uh, seemed to be high. And so now, darn near every game, as you mentioned, is a quad one or a quad two uh, game. There's not a lot of opportunity to get those negative losses. And there's lots of opportunity to get 
solid wins. You look at uh, the Big East, you look at the Pac-12, and whether they're playing 16, 18-game schedules, they're not getting those opportunities to get quad one wins. They're not getting those opportunities to get quad two. A lot of their conference games are quad three. And what that does for the Purdue's and the Iowa's and the Maryland's, uh, that protects them from people jumping them because they're building up a, a stronger resume. And that's something else for fans to realize, too, that, you know, if Purdue stays at five or six and teams move um, – quad one wins and someone behind goes on a big winning streak. Uh, let's say, you know, Texas Tech uh, we have as a four seed and they're four and four in the Big 12 and all of a sudden they win three games. They're now seven and four. Purdue has done nothing really bad but can be passed up by a team um, like that. So the the Big Ten helps itself this year. Um, and, and I think the 20-game schedule this year really, really we'll see. We'll see at least eight teams in and could see as many as 10 teams in from the Big Ten. Oh. Uh, well, before we go, you know, I first knew you as a, a basketball coach back when I was covering uh, high schools. I believe you were at Rossville at the time. I was at Delphi as a head coach. Right, Delphi, I, okay. Yeah. And then I, I've done some assistant uh, work at Rossville for one year now. I'm at Western in Kokomo uh, as an assistant with uh, one of my um, former assistants who's now the head coach. Okay. Um, I'm just curious, you know, I'm sure you've got, had a chance to watch Purdue. Any any impressions of them and, and how they're playing of late, just from the from the basketball coach's perspective? I, I tell you, um, I really would encourage Purdue fans to, to be very thankful for what kind of program uh, they follow. Um, and, and if you know my background, uh, I'm, I'm a graduate of another school in Indiana. So <laughs> I, I think this really – this really hopefully for, for the fans will mean something. There is no better atmosphere than Mackey Arena. Um, and we've had some opportunity. Purdue's been very gracious to Delphi Bracketology to give us some media credentials, and we're, take, we're going to start bringing some students to games and so forth. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, the atmosphere in Mackey Arena, young, old, student body, in sync, the band. Um, you know, Tom Izzo says in the press conference that his freshmen needed diapers uh, that, that that whole atmosphere is is pure basketball, and, and then to have a coach like um, Matt Painter, who I think is unsung in the national uh, media, uh, the the way they cut, the way they defend, the way they play, the way he maximizes nine ten guys on a roster, and, and his comment after the Indiana game was right on. He 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 has gotten Swan again. He's gotten some nice players, but he gets players and gets old and stays old. And there is a Purdue way of playing. Everyone calls about the Butler way, but there is a Purdue way of playing. And it is hard-nosed. And, and, and that's why Purdue has been solid for year to year. And, and again, the, the team that I follow uh, is two or three years away from doing that if we have any amount of patience. Um, and, and sometimes uh, I hear, you know, some negativity about Coach Painter. It's ridiculous, Nathan. Um, from my vantage point, um, you know, uh, I, I could very, if I didn't graduate from the, the Southern University, I, I could find Purdue to be a very, very um, awesome team to follow. I, I, I just think the, the question is, from a basketball standpoint, is that's good and you, and you win games, but do you need those horses to get to the Elite Eight to the Final Four? And, and I'll tell you, I'd rather have a program that plays from game one to game 32 like Purdue does and then make a run to the Sweet 16 Um and then have a chance to get there, uh, then then sell out um, for for some kids that might not uh, be what Purdue basketball is all about. 
So I guess that that's my take, and there's a special spin for your listeners because um, it's from a guy that really doesn't like Purdue. <laughs> um, from, from I like how I you found so many different ways not to say the name of the school that you actually went to. Well, I, you've asked me to be on this, and, and, and our <laughs> Purdue fans have been great for Delphi Bracketology. It's a respect thing um, to keep that out of this podcast. <laughs> Well, uh, some of our listeners may appreciate that, but but I certainly appreciate you taking some time and coming on and, and talking with us today. And um, like I said, people go to DelphiBracketology.com. They have their seed list there. They update it weekly. I don't like you said this year. This week's is not up there yet, but um, I assume that's weekly or or, or pretty pretty yeah. often. We're we're trying to um, put out a, a seed list every week and um, yep. get my young guys to walk, write about three or four articles on bubble teams and upsets and so forth. So there's some other information on that website as well. Gotcha. And then also follow them on Twitter at Delphi Brackets. And, um, and, and, and again, when, when March Madness rolls around, um, and, and don't be surprised if these guys are among one of the most accurate brackets in the country. So uh, maybe use that as, as a guide a little bit when you're, when you're filling out your brackets. So um, thanks a lot, Brian. Appreciate you joining us. And, and, and uh, good luck uh, putting things together again this March. Hey, thanks. Call me anytime. Thanks again to Brian Tonsoni for joining us this week. And that's going to wrap up this edition of Boilers Extra. As I said, follow me on Twitter at inbairedjc. Come to jconline.com Thursday night. We'll have full coverage of Purdue's game at Penn State. We'll have game reports. We'll have my insider column. We'll have post-game video reaction from Matt Painter and players and uh, the whole shebang that we usually bring you here at uh, the Journal and Courier. So uh, come back next week. If you don't already follow us and and subscribe to this podcast, you can get to us on Twitter. Uh, Obviously on Twitter. You can get to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, uh, Google Play. We're all over the place. Please subscribe, rate, send us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Thanks a lot, and we will talk to you next week.